for VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, July 28th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. A new report says millions of lives are at risk from the surging HIV-AIDS epidemic. Adolescent girls and young women are three times as likely to acquire HIV as adolescent boys and young men in sub-Saharan Africa. Kenya's presidential debate turns into a solo performance for one candidate. Anti-UN protests continue in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The doctor who walked to ban alcohol in Zambia reacts to his impeachment. The brother of the late Burkina Faso leader, Thomas Sankara, says forgiveness should begin with justice. We not against any reconciliation process or forgiveness or unity of the nation. No. How do we do it? That's the point. And Gambia moves to impose a total ban on a dangerous insecticide. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The United Nations AIDS program says progress is stalling on ending HIV-AIDS as a public health crisis by 2030, and that action is needed to get it back on track. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The UNAIDS program issued its assessment in a new report pointing to recent data that showed one and a half million people were newly infected with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. That is over a million more new infections than the global estimate set by the United Nations. The report found that in the span of a year, the AIDS pandemic took one life every minute, around 650,000 deaths. Mary Maybe, the director for Impact with UNAIDS, called these deaths preventable. She notes effective HIV treatment and tools to prevent, detect, and treat opportunistic infections are available, but are not provided equitably across the world. Among those disproportionately affected by new infections, she says are young women and adolescent girls. Adolescent girls and young women are three times as likely to acquire HIV as adolescent boys and young men in sub-Saharan Africa. While men are less likely than women to obtain antiretroviral therapy or achieve viral suppression, this leads to continued new infections in their female partners. The report finds new HIV infections have been rising for several years in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, the Middle East, North America, and Latin America. It says new infections are rising in Asia and the Pacific, the world's most populous region. Officials say the rise is particularly alarming as infections in the region previously had been falling. Eastern Southern Africa and Western Central Africa are still seeing declines, but the Eastern Southern Africa decline is slowing down. That rate in which it was dropping before is not as fast as it was before. Western Central Africa has seen a rapid increase in treatment, mostly in Nigeria, which is slowing the epidemic as well in in terms of the new infections. The report says global disruptions, including the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine, have slowed many HIV prevention efforts. Those crises, it notes, have created difficulties for many people to access services to receive the life-saving treatment they need. 
The assessment comes ahead of the 24th International AIDS Conference being held in Montreal, Canada and virtually this week. The talks run from July 29th through August 2nd. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. The younger brother of the late head of state of Burkina Faso, Thomas Sankara, says the appropriate way for former President Blaise Compare to ask for forgiveness is for him to first submit to justice. Compare, then a close friend of Sankara, led a coup in 1987 during which Sankara was assassinated. A military court earlier this year found Compare complicit in the assassination of Sankara and sentenced him to life in absentia. On Tuesday this week, Kumpare apologized to all Bokinabi and the Sankara family for, in his words, all the acts I may have committed during my tenure. Paul Sankara, the younger brother of the late Sankara, says his family is not against forgiveness or reconciliation, but he says Kumpare must first respect the military court's decision. No, it's a couple of things. The first one is we need to respect one of the strongest foundations of the nation's which is the justice. After 34 years of Thomas Sankara's assassination, we had had a justice last year, and the verdict has been done by the justice. The best way for him would have been to respond to the justice. But the second level, this uh, letter that has been uh, you know, released recently from Blaise Compoe asking forgiveness, no one cannot give me the evidence, the proof that it comes from him. And you can't send your daughter and an Ivorian minister to read and ask for forgiveness. Is it still Ivorian or is Burkina there? I don't know what is blurry. It's, so that's, that's exactly uh, the first thing we, I need to say. We not against any reconciliation process or forgiveness or unity of the nation. No. How we do it? That's the point. So, Paul, former President Kompari was uh, found guilty, and then he was sentenced. But we noticed that earlier this year he returned to Burkina Faso. What do you make of the fact that he returned, and how come did they not hold him to serve the sentence? Is there some kind of relationship between him and the military junta there? It shows exactly how things are not uh, honest and true. That's a good evidence. Who had had the initiative to send him from Ivory Coast to Burkina? One. Second, the current government in Burkina Faso, military that came in power to military coup, accepted. I don't know where they're trying to go with this approach. Or it means some people or some families are above the law. There's something wrong here. And the popular, it is a justice for all of us or justice for some of us. We're not against the forgiveness and the reconciliation, not at all in unity. But let's figure out how we're going to do it in a strong way in order to avoid repeating the same mistake. Former President Kampari is asking for forgiveness. Although you have mentioned several steps that you think he should have taken, let's assume he takes those steps. Will you or your family be able to forgive him? It's a question of uh, different consideration in order to give you a, a correct answer. Not just Santa's family, but other victims. Those families have certain uh, custom and tradition. You have to get 
the point of view of different members of the families. After 37 years, families were dismantled in Burkina, out of Burkina, out of Africa, Europe and the US. So you can just few of uh, the members of a given family take a decision. Once again, we're not against forgiveness. We are for the unity, reconciliations, and forgiveness under something honest, strong, which is the justice. Paul, thank you so much for speaking with us. I do appreciate very much. Thank you for having me. Paul Sankara is the younger brother of the late Burkina Faso head of state, Thomas Sankara. You are speaking with me in Washington, D.C. With less than two weeks before Kenya's elections, millions of Kenyans watched a presidential debate on Tuesday this week that had only one participant. Deputy President William Ruto appeared solo after his main opponent, Raila Odinga, refused to participate in the live event. Mohammed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. Deputy President had the stage to himself for 90 minutes to answer questions and explain what he will do if he occupied the president's office. We are a country that um, is faced with mounting challenges. We have a huge track record of what we have achieved, but there is tremendous opportunity out there for more to be achieved. And I believe I am the candidate with a plan to be able to get Kenya to the next level. He promised, among other things, to reduce the cost of living and fight corruption. Former Prime Minister Raila Odinga pulled out of the debate last week, saying he was not willing to debate someone who had no regard for ethics and public morals. Ruto responded Tuesday night. My competitor is not here because he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have an agenda. He cannot articulate anything to the people of Kenya. That's why it's not here. A recent survey found Odinga holding a strong lead over Ruto heading into the final weeks before the August 9th election. Ruto has been deputy president for the past 10 years and held ministerial positions in the previous government. Michael Aguanda, a Kenyan political commentator, says Ruto is having trouble shaking off the political blame that comes with incumbency. I strongly believe that he was caught in between a hard place and a rock because he's been part of the system for a very long time. And therefore, when he was coming out and he was saying that his hands were held and that he had limited power, and yet uh, later on he said that he had the influence in government, uh, that was more or less, um, you know, uh, basically uh, not being straightforward. Nairobi resident Melanie Businei watched Tuesday's debate. She says it has changed her mind on who she will be voting for come August 9th, though she did not reveal which candidate she now prefers. I just hope for the best, and definitely yesterday's debate has changed who I was supposed to vote for. The fact that I have seen who can commit and who cannot, uh, the promises and the agendas have always been the same since independence. Matilda Murage said she did not watch the debate. She says previous unfulfilled promises of earlier leaders have made her not vote. I don't trust anybody there. There's nobody I want to give my vote to because they lie, they steal. I'll just rather keep my vote. Ruto, who is 55, is running for the Kenyan presidency for the first time. The 77-year-old Odinga is making his fifth bid for the top job. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi.
You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barton, Washington. Today is Thursday, July 28th. A nationwide labor protest in Nigeria spread to the capital, Abuja, on Wednesday as protesters sought to pressure authorities to resolve a payment dispute with university teachers. The lecturers walked out of classes February 14 over the dispute and an unfulfilled government promise to invest $500 million in public universities. As Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, the strike has affected millions of Nigerian students. Thousands of protesters comprising Nigerian workers from various sectors marched to the National Assembly on the second day of a solidarity protest for the Academic Staff Union of Universities, or ASU. The joint protest aims to pressure authorities to address lingering funding issues in public universities that prompted a lecturer's strike five months ago. But protesters said there are other issues like insecurity and the state of Nigeria's economy that also need urgent attention. Nigeria Labour Congress NLC President Ayuba Waba says these issues stem from years of authorities neglecting the education system. The children of the working class, the children of the red privilege have been at home for the past five months and nobody cares. Whereas their children are graduating daily from universities and abroad and they have the audacity to post them on social media so that we can see. Once you deny citizens education, you have denied them everything. More than 8 million students in Nigeria's public universities are affected by the strike, including protester Adamu Umar, who is an undergraduate student of the Amadou Bello University. I'm almost getting to some stage that I cannot even tolerate anything from the national government again. I got admission 2019. I am supposed to be a graduate by now. University lecturers abandoned classrooms on February 14th after an unsuccessful meeting with education authorities to honor a 2009 promise made by the government to invest $500 million into public universities. Nigeria's public universities are said to be suffering from low funding and poor management. Many also lack adequate facilities. The protesters say Nigerian lecturers' remuneration is low compared to their counterparts abroad. Emmanuel Osadike is the chairman of the Academic Staff Union of Universities, a labor union. He said authorities tried to punish the striking lecturers by not paying salaries during the strike. The first thing he did was to go and stop salary. Instead of resolving problems, you think that when you stop salary with two or three months, we will come begging. But with the resilience of my member, if they like, let that keep this strike for two years. We must change Nigeria University system, even no matter what happens. Some lawmakers responded to protesters on Wednesday and asked that they give authorities some more time to pay the promised money. In February, authorities said they had paid $230 million out of the $500 million agreed to. The Nigerian Labour Congress represents millions of workers across various sectors, including lecturer unions. A similar strike in 2020 lasted for nine months. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Authorities in the Democratic Republic of Congo say three United Nations peacekeepers and at least 12 civilians were killed during the second day of anti-UN protest on Tuesday this week. 
The protests were triggered by civilians who accused the UN mission, known as MANUSCO, of failing to protect them against militia violence, which has continued for years. Reporter Jaffa Alcanti tells viewers Carol Van Dam he witnessed four protesters who were shot with live bullets as people threw stones and torched a UN compound in Goma, the provincial capital of Congo's North Kivu province. Um, from where I was, I saw four people touched with real bullets. Two of them were killed at the same place and two of them were evacuated to a hospital. What is the Congolese government's reaction been to all of this? The government said they are following uh, all the situation and asked people to do not do any violence to peacekeepers. And as I told you, the governor said they want people to return back home to stop the violence and their message was lifting and they will hear about what the, govern uh, the government will decide. But people still at the place, they didn't accept what the governor said. And one thing I don't understand is we usually see big replace of police and FRDC against protesters. Every time when there are demonstrations, the police use sometimes uh, gun or tear gas to disperse protesters. But now they do nothing. They just try to protest to, to stop them to attack uh, personally peacekeepers. You do see police, police and soldiers on the street, but they're not really doing anything? Yes, not only on streets. They are close to all UN installations. All UN plots, police and soldiers are there. And they are stopping people just with, by way. They talk to people, they are talking to people that it's not good to attack them, don't destroy, but they don't use the same engagement which they use when they want to repress a demonstration in DRC. That was reporter Jafar Al-Kantanti. He was speaking on Tuesday from Goma with my colleague Carol Van Dam. A week ago, we brought to you the story of a Zambian medical doctor who started a walking campaign from the capital Lusaka to the central province capital of Kabwe, about 87 miles, to protest alcohol use in the country. Dr. Brian Sampa, president of the Residence Doctors Association of Zambia, says the government should ban alcohol use because it is destroying lives. Well, earlier this week, the Residence Doctors Association of Zambia impeached Dr. Sampa because it said he does not represent its views and concerns. Dr. Sampa tells me the decision to impeach him is illegal because it was made during a kangaroo court meeting. He also says what he calls an invisible hand was behind the decision. What they have been doing is ever since I started talking about um, the shortages of drugs in March, and the other problems in the Minister of Health, they have been trying to find ways to move me. Now, this time around, when I started the ban alcohol movement, it has been one of the unpopular moves. They used people. The people were sponsored, transported to the venue, and the permanent secretary for the Minister of Health even wrote them a letter to ask all the hospital administrators to allow people to go for that illegal AGM. So that's the reason why when I saw that invisible hand involved, 
I couldn't even contain it. I just saw it as an obstacle uh, to try and change the narrative and make me lose the focus. Instead of the ban alcohol, now I should start fighting for that position as RDS president. So the Medical Association Secretary General says that they decided to impeach you because you do not represent the concerns of the medical association. I'm assuming they are talking about your recent campaign to ban alcohol. Well, when I embarked on the campaign to ban alcohol, that was not a campaign for the association. And I made it clear that it was being done as a medical doctor who has experienced and seen the effects of alcohol in our country. Dr. Sampa, you mentioned earlier, I think, you refer to an invincible hand. What exactly did you mean? Yeah, so what I mean is that we have a challenge here. Whenever you criticize the government, then you are labeled as if you are being opposition. So immediately I started talking about the lack of drugs in hospitals because we haven't had drugs for quite some time. So I've been talking about the drugs and advocating for the ministry to buy drugs. So the government even started the process of firing me. That's why I resigned two months ago, because they wanted to fire me. And with my advocates, again, they haven't still been okay. So they have been following me, thinking that the thing that I was holding on to was RDAZ. When they took that step, I realized that if I hold on to RDAZ, I'm going to spend a lot of time fighting for a few months which are remaining for me. So I would rather let go so that now they have got nothing to follow about me. Then I continue pushing this other agenda of the banned alcohol and also advocating for better health in our country. About your banned alcohol campaign, I'm assuming you completed it. Yes, I completed it. Yes, how was it? Actually, it has done a lot of sensitization. From the day I started that work, the entire country was talking about it. From that day to date, the radio stations are discussing alcohol. The TV stations are talking about alcohol. Even yesterday, I was invited at a certain church to go and talk about alcohol in church. And the other churches have also extended their invites so that I can go and talk to them. And they have officially joined the fight, and they are saying that they will make sure that it reaches its completion. So a lot of people have come on board, including the youth. They are joining, and they are willing to do anything to ensure that alcohol is banned. That was Dr. Brian Sampa, the former president of the Resident Doctors Association of Zambia. Gambians are raising concern over the quality of the foods they consume. This follows the allegation that fishmongers are using a deadly insecticide called sniper to preserve fish. The Food Safety and Quality Authority of the Gambia has confirmed the presence of the chemical on smoked fish and says it is now moving to administer a total ban on its importation and use by the end of October this year. Sajo Brito has moved from Banjul. The public health scandal in the Gambia has aroused concern following investigations by the FSQA confirming the presence of chemicals in sniper insecticide used in smoked fish meant for human consumption. Sniper is a synthetic organophosphate used to control insect pests in stored products. It was originally formulated to protect plants for use in households and for agricultural purposes. Described as a very dangerous chemical, 
public health experts have warned about its health implications, especially to the respiratory organs. Baidu Dijalo is the director of scientific affairs at the Food Safety and Quality Authority of the Gambia. He says that some time ago, the government placed a moratorium on the importation of sniper insecticide. But now, with the recent scandal, he says the Food Safety and Quality Authority and all the relevant stakeholders are now moving to administer a total ban on the importation and use of the dangerous chemical by October 31st. This is a, it's a serious matter because um, we are talking about chemicals finding their way into our foods. Manyima Kamara is a smoked fish vendor at Serekunda Market, one of the country's busiest in the city. She says she has never used the deadly chemical on her fish, adding that reports of sniper use by fishmongers have greatly affected her business. For VOA Daybreak Africa, I am Sajo Brito in Banjul, the Gambia. And that's it for this Thursday, July 28th edition of Daybreak Africa. Have a great day.